0: welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Friend, I feel like my brain is juggling so many open projects. And I mentioned this on stories yesterday and over 90% of you were like, yep, I can relate. And open projects is a phrase we use in the Elegant Excellence Journal. I think it is so relevant and applicable in so many ways like if you are planning a wedding and juggling friend drama and doing something at work and your kid has a science project I mean all of those things are just open projects that you are trying to I wish I could I wish you could see me right now I just have like my hands on my face I'm just like oh my gosh my brain hurts when you're trying to juggle how do all of these things go together. How do I make space for all of these? And what I was sharing on Instagram is that it I find it makes me anti-social because it's hard. You have a little bit less time to share anyways. And then there's so much going on to share about. And for me because of my work that relates into struggling to show up on Instagram and and be social there, for you it might be making small talk at A cocktail party or at church or uh, just texting back your friends because it feels like there's just, yeah, you're just short on time and you don't quite know even where to begin because there's lots of different things that you could cover. And today's conversation was inspired by another time a little while back when I shared something else on stories. And it was, can anyone relate to this? And hello, over 90% of us are here and are having the same experience. And the question at that point was, do you feel like you are waiting for something? Do you feel like you are in a story or a season of waiting? And almost everyone was in this season and I posed that question because it had come up inside the Elegant Excellence community. And today is the first time in a podcast episode where I'm pulling a teaching from inside that community. And it you'll hear that it was from a day when I was reading so many related stories. And that happens so often in our community. And that community is basically where all of us who listen to the podcast, all of us over on Instagram are able to dialogue together, you can hear not just from me, but you can actually speak back to me. And more importantly, you can hear from and speak to one another, which is just so beautiful because I cannot believe how many times I go in there and I'm reading the conversations and I'm giving advice over here and over here. And then I go, wait a minute. That actually, you know what? I'm gonna share something here, but also go read what I just wrote to Danae. And then I'm on the next profile. I'm like, you know what? Go look at the comment that I just left on Alex's because that was a totally she's in a different circumstance, the details are different, she's having a different story and experience. But really, the same root challenge is coming up for both of you, or the mindset shift that we were talking about absolutely applies over here. The questions that I encouraged her to ask totally happen over here. And You'll hear in today's episode, it was actually that the circumstances were very similar. Oftentimes, our circumstances are diverse, but the feelings, the emotions, the challenges are the same. And today, it was a lot of people in a season of waiting, and in the group, it all happened to be around medical things, which made it feel really resonant, and I just popped open by video recording. And I just started uh, doing this live stream for them. But in Instagram, when I asked, I then put up a question box and said, what is it that you're waiting for? And I remember so I was sitting on the beach and I remember going through your responses afterwards and kind of organizing them. And because I have a lot on my plate, I, of course, like I, I planned to then share these on stories and I'm pretty positive. I never actually got around to it. But I started creating them. And so it really stuck in my mind that what I realized as I was going through is it was almost like chronologically people were starting at, I'm waiting to start school, I'm waiting to graduate this this program or you know, this graduate degree, et cetera. I'm waiting for a partner. I'm waiting to get engaged. I'm waiting for my wedding. I'm waiting to buy a house. I'm waiting to get pregnant. I'm waiting for my divorce to go through. I'm waiting for the kids to graduate. I'm waiting for someone in hospice to pass. I mean, it truly was this sense of you are not yet at the point that you are quite looking for a partner as you were building your career into the partner, into the babies, maybe parting from the partner, the babies becoming adults, other adults passing away. It was just sort of this cyclical vision. Just from our community on one day, where I realized, are we never not waiting? And I talk about this inside this spontaneous teaching on how to wait well. And then I'll come back in after the teaching to reflect a little bit more since then with my brother in law's accident that has happened since this teaching as I have now a perspective on another very different story of waiting and whether what I shared in the moment holds up as I've thought about it through that lens. Hi, friends. Amanda just asked a follow-up question in a comment, In her thread has so much good conversation on it, but I thought my response would get buried there, so I thought I would record a video and post it at the top here. Her question was, how do you wait well? She's in a situation where she thought she might have cancer, and she is very grateful that she doesn't, but she now has to go on this protocol for three months to see if that alleviates the symptoms and just wait to see if it does. She was like, I am not good at waiting. I don't think probably any of us are good at waiting, and we a lot of health stuff right now. Um, just everyone that I have seen today just so happens to be on majorly restrictive diets for health issues have health issues in their family. All of a sudden, a lot of cancer, a lot of just like so much, actually, now that I'm saying this, Caitlin is waiting to hear back from her mom's cancer diagnosis. Like what what does this mean? How bad is this? How much time does she have? So, okay, here's the three things that I have. Um, number one, distract yourself when we are waiting as much as we can distract ourselves if there isn't going to be an answer anyways, then where can I choose joy? Where can I get distracted? And and when something isn't distracting you, move on to the next thing. Am I watching shows that are really captivating me? Or am I multitasking where I'm like over here doing this because I'm not really into this movie because I don't really need to pay attention? Am I not really loving this novel that I'm reading? So I'm sort of flitting or is it really pulling me in? Um... What is it that gets me in that headspace? You know, I might go for walks on the beach, which I'm looking at right now, and that might feel really beautiful. But if I'm just thinking with my thoughts all the time, then is that not as much of a distraction as you guys know, I love going to a, a basketball game. Like for me going to an NBA game, like I am in the moment, I am not thinking about what is stressing me out. And we talk about this a little bit in the healing burnout course that when your brain is focused in the moment, it's like your fight and flight goes down, your worry, your overwhelm. A night when I got, I got like some of the most devastating news ever on a Tuesday and on Friday night, we just happened to have tickets to John Mulaney, one of my favorite um, comedians. And I just remember thinking, this was like the greatest gift from the universe that I bought myself these tickets because I still thought about it a little bit, but I was conscious in the moment when I thought about that I was thinking about it so much less than I would have doing just about anything else. So I realize some of those examples that I'm giving cost money to actually go and do something. Um, but that might even just be like calling a friend and being like, or texting your friends and saying like, I really need to hear about other pe- things that are happening in other people's lives. Do you, anybody have something like, like that you need help working through any problem that you're noodling on that I can just like help you think about your life. So I'm not thinking about mine. So number one, distraction. Number two, I've talked about this on the podcast and Instagram a little bit that I've really been challenging myself with in the last couple months of if I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I don't know. I have no idea in 3 months what the test results are going to come back at. Then and and my thoughts aren't going to change the outcome. Now this is a little bit debatable. Caitlin, for example, had mentioned, like, I know our thoughts can impact things. Like, when it comes to cancer, you know, I think there probably is data, don't quote me on this, but I believe there is research on, you know, a more positive mindset impacts things. But there's other things where I don't think that that's the case. In some ways, placebo effect, our mindset can help us. So um, I guess I would say, whether our mindset helps or hurts us, like, the data says, it it probably helps us right to choose a more positive mindset like the placebo effect it is more likely that that's going to help us rather than anything so you've already got that like check mark of focusing on the positive but even if it's actually not going to impact the outcome if it's just like I don't know. This is not what's happening in your life, but let's just say you're like, I want my favorite football team to win. Nothing in your mindset is affecting whether like the 49ers or the Rams win. Do you know what I mean? So there are other things in life that are not about what's happening in our physical nervous system that I don't think there's any data if you're like waiting to, to see if you are pregnant. I don't believe there is any data that shows a positive mindset increases your fertility rate. You know, there are some of those correlations where we're like, yeah, it does. So let's choose positive. But even on the ones that it doesn't, it makes no difference what the outcome is. If you then cannot control the outcome at all whatsoever, then you either just spent the time miserable and white knuckling it, and by the way, when I say this, like this is what I'm self-coaching myself on. And I just feel like I keep wanting to emphasize that because I realize there's people that I follow and I'm like, gosh, it just sounds like she's got everything so together. She must not struggle because her mindset is so good. And then whenever there's something in her book or her podcast where she talks about like feeling anxious, feeling angry, feeling insecure, I'm like, oh, okay. I guess she does still feel those things. She just also has that wisdom, but it doesn't mean she feels at every moment. So um, I don't feel this at every moment, but it's what I am self-coaching myself on is I can either white knuckle it and make it miserable and have the exact same outcome in 3 months or I can have chosen positivity and hope and joy and have the exact same outcome in 3 months. And the only thing that is different is that I was more miserable or happier along the way. I just made it if it's going to be bad, I just made it worse. If it's going to be good, I just stole all of that joy for myself. Yesterday, I had a friend that uh, messaged that she is headed to, her husband is giving the eulogy at um, a funeral for a six-year-old. And I just said, like, we were just, it's, it's a friend I talk deep stuff with, you know, and I, we were just like, how do you reconcile that, et cetera. And I just said, when I think about that family, I think I hope they lived with as much joy as possible in those six years of life. Like I just thought about it for myself as a potential future parent that of course, it's like every parent's worst nightmare, right? And I just thought if you are, if you are fearful that your child is going to die every day, and they die at six years old. You lived those six years with fear. And you just, you stole some of the joy that was possible in believing that they were gonna be okay. Now, again, I know this is easier said than done. Like I have flashes of something horrible happening to my kitten. Um, So I'm not saying that I'm gonna like, I'm gonna have no worries when I'm a parent. Again, I'm not making it sound like that. But I just, I, I realized when I was able to think about this other couple that I don't even know, I just thought like, I guess the old, like I could see regretting. I wish, I wish we hadn't spent so much of our time in fear if this was the time that we had. And there's a phrase that I've been wanting to talk about because i have been percolating on it for the last couple of months and I'll expand on this more. But I was listening to a meditation talk and she used the phrase, I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have time to rush. I don't have time to rush. And it was about someone who was given a terminal diagnosis who had a small child. And when she got that diagnosis, her reaction was, I don't have time to rush. Turns out I don't have time to rush. I only have a limited time. So I have to be incredibly intentional with it. I can't rush by the moments. I can't rush by the presence. I can't rush by the relationship. And there's a lot of other applications for that that I'll expand on a future podcast or something. But I think there's that element of like, if this is the, I it's the idea that she could make that time better or worse, she couldn't change the time. If she had a year, she had a year. She could make the time better or worse. And I think I'm just feeling emotional by that because of some things um, in my life where I am just challenging myself, like you don't know how it's gonna turn out. You don't know how it's gonna work. You're just waiting. You're just in the longest wait. Um but you can make it better or worse. And after this wait, there's gonna be other waits because like I mean thinking about that couple not being a parent yet myself but imagining like I mean is your life as a parent just waiting to hope that your child is okay. Like you're just waiting. You're just waiting for 20 years to see that they get to adulthood. You're just waiting from 20 to 30 to make sure they don't mess up their life. You're just waiting for now. You're just waiting to make sure your grandkids are okay. Like there is a sense of, are we not just constantly waiting in some way? And so if we're white knuckling it along the way, I just, I guess I'm saying to myself, like if I'm white knuckling it now, then aren't I going to keep white knuckling at the next thing? Like imagining if you were pregnant, which I'm not, but if you were pregnant and after trauma and you were white knuckling of like, you know, I've had friends in this scenario, it's like they were just so afraid to have joy because they were just waiting until the birth. But I've wondered, at a friend many years ago, that was the scenario, like she didn't want to have a baby shower or anything because she just was so afraid that something would go wrong. And then I wonder, we've lost touch, but I wonder and I hope that that didn't carry over because now the baby's here. Aren't you just terrified that something's going to happen to the baby from zero to one? Like, it's not just about getting to the birth, right? Now we got to get through SIDS. Now we got to get through playgrounds. Now we got to get through school shootings. Like, aren't we just, it's not all done from there. All you got to do is have the healthy baby. And now they are totally going to be safe and sound for the next 100 years. So isn't this just isn't life just waiting? Like, I feel like there's a song, time song in there somewhere, that a song lyric that I don't have at the front of my brain. So isn't life just waiting? And then the final third and final thing I have is there's time in my life. There's a piece of paper that I have saved somewhere back in Brooklyn. There was a time when I was on a phone call. I was on a hold. I was waiting for an answer. And I just, I have this piece of paper and I just kept writing. Even if, even if, even if, and now this one depends a little bit about what your spiritual religious beliefs are. But for me, what I was saying in that moment was, even if this isn't the answer that I want, I believe that for, for me, it's God. I believe that you are good. I believe that you have planned plan for me. I believe that like, it's going to be okay. Like I believe that this, you know, my life isn't you know, to quote Emma Thompson, always going to be a little worse, uh, love actually. Um, And I just, that was my sort of being in the wait, Amanda. I mean, it was literally a wait of, you know, three minutes on hold, but sometimes um, that feels like an eternity, depending on what you're waiting to hear back on. And um, I think there is something in just the like, the kind of palms upness and I've been thinking about this in a variety of things in my own life that I'll, I'll share one day when they aren't so, so raw, but, um, have been thinking like, it, it's not, even if this thing doesn't go the way I want, I've got to believe there's something better. Like I was saying to Jeremy, you know, I didn't know what was going to be after my theater career. I knew it was going to be, I knew it was something. I knew it wasn't going to be a performer for forever, but I didn't know what it was for so many years. And it turns out it was so much better. And I, you know, every apartment that I've been in has, has gotten better. Like, but I didn't know with the time, you're going to love the next thing you do even more. And so I just had the thought with something that I was like, even if, this thing falls apart, this situation doesn't go the way that I want, even if this dream doesn't happen the way that I want or or ever happen, do I believe that it's going to be worse from there? Now, the exception here, I think, is death. It's never better. After death, like, um, so, you know, back to Caitlin, who is waiting to hear on her mom's prognosis, like, you know, I mean, based on your faith, Caitlin, you might say like it might be authentic for you to to say, even if it's the worst news, God, like I still believe that you're good and all of that, and that's a, a much deeper conversation. Um, but I but but if we can take death off the table, because that's not what Amanda's situation is, and that's where this question originated from is having patience in the wait then even if amanda this protocol doesn't work saying like i believe there there is a next thing there will be there will be something um there will be goodness and then when we truly are faced with death then there is the belief, and I haven't been through this kind of grief, but I really observe people that have, because I'm terrified of having to go through that grief myself, so I'm sort of like pre-rehearsing and preparing for it, which may be wise, maybe unwise, probably some of both. Um, I think even there, even if the worst happens, there there still is also goodness, like... I, I see these people and I observed one of them recently um, for anyone who's in the Christian community. There's a worship leader named Kaylee Hygenthal ha- ha- with Bethel Music. She lost her daughter a couple of years ago and Jeremy and I went to a worship night that she was leading a couple of weeks ago and I never even got around to sharing it on Instagram yet, but it was so convicting and I didn't think about it in advance. I just was like excited to go see her, but to actually stand in front of someone who is worshiping that like, God is good. His promises never fail. Like all of these things and having followed her on Instagram and know that she means it so authentically, she's really wisely. It's not a platitude. It's not toxic positivity. She is like dug to the depths of her soul and said, somehow I believe that both of these can be true. I believe that like, this is not what is meant for humanity. We are meant to get old and to die and every single human on earth, if they are lucky, is going to have to watch other people die in that way. Because the only way you're unlucky is if you go too soon. But we have all these, ins, and even that is excruciating. We don't understand it. We don't understand it in our human brain. How is this possible that from the moment you're born, like if you have a, a, a one-month-old right now, that one-month-old is going to get their heart crushed because you're going to be gone one day. And that's like, the only way they aren't going to be crushed is if they're the unlucky one and they go too soon. But like, there's no, they, there's there's no way to escape it. There's no way, and it's never enough. I remember my mom's best friend um lost her mother. I think in her sixties, and I said like, oh, that's just it's so beautiful that you got so much time with her, etc. And she was like, yeah, but I I miss her every day. I miss her all the time. And I've thought about that so much over the years, where I was like, "It's never enough. We talk about this in the healing burnout course. like it's it's never enough. Sixty years with your mom isn't enough." you know, somebody shared in one of the comments that they lost their parents that, I think you said 21 and 22. And that was definitely not enough. It was not enough. But if you're 60, you probably still don't feel like enough either. Like, all of us, from the moment we were born, signed up to grieve deeply. Like, there's no other way around it unless you go too soon. Like, Kaylee Heigenthal's daughter, you know, Olive, who was two or three, like, Olive was spared, and and I think that's part of what Kaylee is focused on is that like she got to live a beautiful, perfect life. And then based on our faith, there is a heaven and she's getting to live a beautiful, perfect life. So as their her parents, we're in pain, but actually like she, she, she she won. Like she, she got like pure joy. Um, But that's not the story we want, right? We don't have children hoping that we can protect them from the joy because they are only here for a few years. So it's like, this is what we all I don't want to say signed up for because I don't know that I think we like elected to be here on Earth, but like there's there's no way around it. This is what it is. We all have this like grief cliff that we're gonna go off, and there's there's no way to stop it. But there's also something I think that really beautifully connecting about that because it doesn't doesn't matter how much money Jeff Bezos has. His, his his mom's gonna die you know like it doesn't matter how much it doesn't matter the houses that the kardashians have like they still all have pain over the loss of their dad and they will all have excruciating grief and trauma over the loss of their mother and their money doesn't thinness their Face fillers, like none none of that matters. The fact that they have kids, the fact that they have sisters, like none of it makes it enough. No one is protected from this. We're not protected in first world countries. We're not, you know, um, protected with any of it. So let me pause and find my conclusion. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying, Amanda, is I feel like the patience and the waiting is just kind of life. And I don't say that in a dismissive way. I just say that in a, like, I don't think it's about the three months until you get your test results because there's something after that. You're, we're waiting to get through inflation. You're waiting to see what the money you have is in retirement. You're waiting to get to retirement and see if you had enough money. You're, you know, you're waiting to hear back from a friend who's sick. I mean, it's happened to me yesterday. I just, I have a friend that, um, has cancer. And I just thought, I started to realize like she hasn't posted on Instagram in a bit and I haven't heard from her for a bit. And I got worried. And when she texted back yesterday, I felt such relief and I didn't want to tell her like, Oh, I'm so glad you texted. I've been really worried for the last two weeks that you died. Like, but yeah, I was waiting to hear back from her. Um, there is so much I'm waiting on in the next year. I'm also sort of always waiting for one of my parents to die and like I I haven't actually had that thought maybe not in these exact words so thank you for this question Amanda because it's helping me but I guess I've sort of have been having the thought a little bit of just like I could be waiting for another 15 years like my dad's 80 and a lot of his relatives have lived till 96 like I could be waiting for 16 more years. And then I pictured my niece, who's 10. And I was like, she could be 26 when I'm giving this eulogy at his funeral that I occasionally find myself you know, thinking of. He's not sick. It's just, this is just life. Like, we're just, since I was in high school, I've been waiting for my dad to die, you know, meaning f- fearful of it. He's always been in fine health. It's just, I'm just an overly emotional empath. And ever since I was in high school, I've been racked with like the existential grief of what it means to be alive. Well, no one in my family was and is like, I'm the only one that's like this. So I think I extra thought something was weird with me. And so then I think about having a kid and how do we just teach a kid from forever? Like, this is just you can kind of look at it as you're always waiting that something bad might happen. Or you can look at it as I don't want to live my life white knuckling. I want to, as much as I can catch those thoughts and reorient them to, I, I want to choose joy. If these are the days that I have, then I want to live them well. We, I just did that episode a few weeks ago um, after Dave Hollis passed away. Where I just was really impacted by that. I did not know him at all. It just, to have someone who's 47, who is friends of friends, shockingly out of nowhere, it just, it just panics you a little bit. You just think that's not that much older than some of my friends. That's, you know, like, um, and, um, and I just kind of started reflecting on what, so how do you live? I think it was some, the episode title is something like how to live well or something. If someone knows what episode that is, put it in the comments. But, um, I think this is just kind of life, Amanda. And I guess for myself, because I am in that season as well, for other reasons, I have been challenging myself. If I white knuckle it through the waiting, then aren't I going to just keep white knuckling it? And I, and this feels hard, but, but there's going to be other hard things. So it's not just white knuckle it through this. And then it's like, no, it keeps, it falls apart and then it comes back together and then it falls apart and then it comes back together and then it falls apart. But if every time it falls apart, I white knuckle it, then that's just, that's a lot of time spent being, choosing to be less happy. And so I am trying to actively make the choice to have more faith, more hope, more love, more confidence for all these reasons. I hope that helps. If you couldn't quite hear at the end there, I ended that with, I'm trying to choose those things, hope, joy, peace, for all these reasons that I had shared. And I ended saying, I hope that helps. They are watching on video, so it's a little easier sometimes with the audio. But as I said at the top, this was, or I don't think I even clarified, this was merely days before my brother-in-law's accident. I think I gave this teaching on a Friday and his accident was on Sunday. And so I re-listened to this teaching with that in mind and my advice still feels true. And I do this for myself a lot. I keep running ideas through my new experiences, experiences that friends are going through, experiences I hear from you in the community, and sometimes they evolve. And I love that. I realize, you know what, now that I think about it from that perspective, maybe it's a little bit this, or maybe that isn't true as often as I was thinking, or maybe there's a new layer or angle or complexity. And when they keep feeling true, I lean into them even more. So. These three points, the first one of distract yourself. I actually just shared this last night. We have a family meeting for Aaron two or three times a week for 60 to 90 minutes going over just all of the incredible complexity that is get how he is right now, how we can help him right now, what's the next stage, the housing, the van, the, all of those things, what's the outpatient facility he's going to be in, what's the healing regimens we're going to go through. Like there's just so much to coordinate. And one of the things that was mentioned is this time during the day when he gets this uncomfortable treatment for like an hour and it's just not fun. And a sister asked, uh, like, is he listening to anything during that time? And his mom said, I mean, I feel like, you know, we've got the, the positive mindset stuff, the Ted talks. Like I, I kind of feel like maybe I need something new. And I said, what about the Smartless podcast? Does anyone here listen to the Smartless podcast? As you are well aware, um, uh, here as a member of our community, I love the Smartless podcast. It is Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes, and they are just delightful and lovely. And I just, it's what I put on when I just need to quiet my brain. I am done thinking for the night. I don't need any self reflection. I am not growing. I just need 10 minutes of like entertainment to switch my brain off. And I just said to them, maybe he doesn't need mindset all the time because I'm really into personal development and growth and I'm working on myself all the time, but I can't do it 24 hours a day. And so if the only option that we're giving him is constantly work on your mindset, be positive, think the best, like his brain also just needs a chance to just distract itself even from waiting. For this uncomfortable procedure that he goes through for half an hour or an hour, even just waiting for that to be done, I thought maybe he just needs to distract himself and be, you know, listening to a fun, unrelated podcast. And I'm conscious of trying to help Jeremy distract himself in this of not bringing up Aaron when we are out doing something else because if he's not thinking about it right then, I want his brain to be able to rest. I want him to be able to be distracted. And I think it's important to note, I don't think that means never bring it up to a friend because you're like, oh, well, we're out. Maybe this is the time they want to distract themselves. I would not say that across the board, but in my case, because we're together 24-7, I know it already comes up every single day. We talk about Aaron every single day. So it's not that I'm thinking, he's not gonna think I'm being sensitive. He's not gonna think that I care. So I'm I'm taking advantage whenever we're not talking about it to be like, great, let's focus on something else. We are going to the Nets playoff game, do a little happy dance. We love NBA and both of our teams are, well, both of our New York teams Are in the playoffs and we are out of town in um, Salt Lake to go see Aaron and um, flying out on Saturday and gone for most of it, but we are going on Thursday night. And I am just so grateful for both of us. You've probably heard me say before, it is one of the best releases for my nervous system to dance and scream and cheer and just like get lost in the moment and be so focused. Basketball goes so fast. You can be so focus on each play. So I'm not thinking about that email that I need to write or those things on my to-do list. If you are in the Healing Burnout course, review our first module on how to care for your nervous system and take those actions when you are in the wait. Appreciate those distractions that get you from your, uh, sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous system where your body can relax more. And I think, you know, what's so interesting about my brother-in-law's accident is that this injury will be his reality and something he is healing from for years. And I've seen other friends. I had a friend that uh, went through a story of miscarriage for three years. I had another friend that was going through it for stillbirth and then infertility for for two years. So when that is the dominant story in your life and you are just so constantly focused on it, you get mentally fatigued. We need breaks to stay creative, hopeful, optimistic, grateful. So I do not think we should ever feel guilty for distracting ourselves. If anything, the distraction is the gift that we give ourselves so that we can keep Walking well, waiting well throughout the circumstance. The second point of if I don't know the outcome, envision the best. I think I even say at the beginning of that, you know, I don't know the science, but I would imagine that this probably works in like medical healing. There's probably some data out there, right? Within days, I woke up at six in the morning, sat up in bed at the 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 day after we got. The worst of the diagnosis for Aaron and um and like googling what what leads to healing miraculous stories of of paralysis and healing and I was right it is it is mindset it is envisioning the positive outcome literally is proven by science when it comes to physical healing to play a role in getting you closer to that and I also was humbled that sometimes we have to prepare for plan B. Like we have five weeks until Aaron is released from the rehab center. And the first, I think he's in there for eight weeks total. So the first like week, week and a half, I felt this tension within me where it was like, we want to believe that he will walk out of here. So do we renovate a handicapped bathroom now? because we're believing for complete healing. So how do we live out both of these? How do we believe mentally in the plan A and the best while taking practical steps for plan B so we aren't left in a lurch? And we had to make that pivot mentally sooner than I think the family really wanted to. We wanted to be like, okay, well, we'll wait. You know, we got, we got eight weeks in here. So around week six and a half, we will figure out what we need to do. And the team there at the rehab center, knowing how complex everything is, calls a big family meeting pretty early on in the process with the doctors, with the whole team, with all the members of the immediate family, and is like, you need a plan now. We need to begin preparations. We need to go tour where his home is going to be. We need to, this, this all takes a while. You have to start now. So the team is saying, well, we are here to get Aaron as fully healed as he can be. We also need to prepare him to exist in the world now with the limitations he has now. And we will keep pushing past those limitations. But they, in essence, were saying, It's not going to be in the next five weeks. He is leaving here. I mean, they didn't literally say this, but basically what they were saying was, there's no way he's not leaving here in a motorized wheelchair. Now, is that going to be his life for forever? We're not saying that, but he is leaving here, so we we need the van. We need all of these things. So now the family meetings are okay. How do we how do we find an apartment that we can get approval to renovate a bathroom? What what, do we need to rent a house to renovate? How do we need to do this because? FYI, there is very little accessible housing in America, and you don't realize this until you need it for your family. But we keep saying the language for now. Everyone in the family, they are saying it to one another. They are saying it to Erin. We are looking, one of the sisters specifically is the one that has been really seeking out stories and is only looking at the best case stories. We are only looking at people who are walking. We aren't paying attention to anyone whose story is that they are still in a wheelchair because we're looking at only the people who are walking. How did they get there? Tell us what you did. What treatments did you do? What doctors did you see? Those are the people that we are speaking to and it's honestly been, I have goosebumps right now as I'm saying this, it's been amazing actually To have to believe this tenet so much for myself, and I have fought for this mindset for myself a lot over the last year through some really really hard things, and to actually see in practice—not even just what I'm thinking in my, uh, what I'm writing in my elegant excellence journal, what I'm allowing my thoughts to think, what I'm envisioning when I go into the sauna every night and listen to my worship music, but actually to hear and see a family only taking actions that are envisioning the best, only having conversations, only looking to learn from people who have the best outcome, and to realize that's, that they're, they're walking the walk in saying, we want to look at the best case scenarios to learn from and live like even in the tension that we are physically seeing, literally seeing, because most of the things that you and I might be wondering the best outcome about, it's like, you know, am I going to get that degree? Am I going to meet that person? Am I going to not have another miscarriage? Are we going to pay off the, the debt? Like whatever those things are, we're, we're, having to envision it, right? It's not literally right in front of us often. And yet Aaron is literally right in front of us. And we are looking at the calendar. We are having to have verbal conversations, six of us last night on Zoom, about how to get an accessible bathroom. Because right now he is in a wheelchair while also sharing Here's what I was told by three more people that I talked to this week. Here's the recurring themes. And again, I would like to clarify to the family, I am only talking to people who are walking right now. Um, And so to live in that duality is actually exciting to see. It actually inspires and encourages me because I'm like, this is what I've believed for myself. And I'm having... I'm seeing it lived out in action. I'm having to live it out in my words and my actions, even with what's visually in front of me. And it's actually just as true as I believed that it was. If I don't know the outcome, then envision the best, live as it as the best, plan for the best. It might be the not best just in the short term, but if you have to do that, it is exclusively for now. Maybe you might lose that pregnancy, but it is this pregnancy for now. It doesn't mean all pregnancies. How can we live with, with both of those things and that duality? And the third element that I shared of the even if. Even if I don't get the outcome that I want, I believe that ultimately there is good, that that I will have joy and hope and even if it doesn't look like what I wanted, and one of you we've gotten so many incredible messages from, um, uh, in regards to Aaron, and one of you said, and I, I, can't, I can like sort of picture who you are. you've been a member of our community for a really long time, but I can't think of your Instagram handle and but I know we, we've messaged so much over the years, and you said, my sister was in this scenario I think she." she fell and broke her back building a home for Habitats for Humanity. And she went to, I think, the Craig Center, which is a center that came up a lot um, in, um, in your messages. And the person at the Craig Center said to the sister, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, I've been doing this for a long time. And what I can tell you is that almost every person who comes here When I see them a year later, they say, I'm actually grateful that this happened to me. And that feels so wild to comprehend. And yet, I do truly believe in my bones that Aaron is going to like his life more five years from now, ten years from now because of this. He's going to like who he is more. He is going to be a a a better person, a changed, a different person. And he's actually going to like his life more because of his mindset, because of his resilience, et cetera. And for myself, I really have been living out what I said at the end of not white knuckling it. I've been saying to Jeremy for various things that we're in, totally separate for Aaron, for just my personal life, work things, future plans. I've been saying to Jeremy, I want to enjoy this season. I want to enjoy creating this. I want to enjoy this year. I want to enjoy this time. I don't just want to be anxiously waiting to get the thing launched, to have the decision to get the answer, to make the announcement, and it really works. I am not living in this summer or a year from now or whenever I envision certain things might be done because also that's a might. If I focus on the time when I'm going to get the answer, I also might not get the answer or I might not get the answer that I want which might mean it's not the end of the story. And I'm not living in when I might get that answer to be done with this weight, because I acknowledge after that weight is going to be another weight. I talked about the friend who I said was white knuckling it through her pregnancy after loss. And I sort of lost touch with her. And I said, I hope she hasn't white-knuckled it through every other year of her daughter's life. I hope she didn't white-knuckle it through the next pregnancy. I hope she's not just continuing to white-knuckle it, which does not mean I have any judgment for how that, that natural propensity to be so terrified of loss again. But I am conscious for myself that I am truly choosing to enjoy my life today. And that I'm having to make an anxious, a conscious, active thought. I'm having to, to ta- dialogue with myself about that. I'm having to write about it in my Elegant Excellence journal. It's not the default. The default wants to go to, oh, I just can't wait until we're at this point And this is behind us. I just can't wait until we're at this next stage. But I actually, I can wait. I mean, literally, I'm going to wait, right? Because I can't make time go any faster. So I can, in fact, wait. And I can either wait a little bit numb to my life, trying to not truly sink into the present because I'm waiting to live a future day. Or I can wait well. And I truly can tell you that it feels so much better. I know it doesn't sound or feel easy to say, just don't think about the future. Just try to live in the present. I know it sounds hard, but what I want to leave you with today is that it truly does feel better than never being present. And doing the work to wait well actually feels like a relief. It doesn't feel as hard of work as it actually is to be holding your breath and white knuckling and just wishing that you could be three months or three years from now because there is joy in the present moment and I truly hope that these three humble pieces of advice help you to wait well in whatever you are waiting for for now. Oh wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is I've got a couple of New York City recommendations because my sister brother-in-law 7 and 9 year old niece and nephew were just here for a week for spring break. It was so much fun. It was the best. They had a phenomenal week. We had an incredible week with them and a couple of favorite things that I want to pass on. If you have a little girl or a little kid that is into Eloise at the Plaza, you know the famous book series, there was also a movie about it the Eloise Tea at the Plaza. I have never done tea at the Plaza. It's a lovely thing just for adults to do. It's very pretty, it is quite pricey, but it is a lovely thing to do as adults. It was delicious and we had a great time. But specifically, their children's tea is an Eloise tea. And they bring an Eloise teapot and tea cup and a pink napkin and the, the, the food is cute. There were just all these little details. And everyone there, is aware, like their employees understand the assignment. We asked our waiter to take a picture of us at the table, my sister, my niece and I, it was just the three of us girls. He took 41 photos of us. (laughs) I counted. I was like scrolling and scrolling. I was like, oh my gosh. He was like, okay, now lift your teacups and cheers in the middle. Okay, now let me get one from this angle. And then we asked somebody outside to take our picture on the steps, like the doorman. He was like, okay, stand here in the middle wait, let me wait until somebody's not in the background. Like I felt like they really understood that people are here to have an iconic experience. Also for my sister and I, we are huge fans of the movie Big Business. That was like such a childhood classic for us. Bette Midler, Lily Tomlin. That takes place at the plaza. wasn't actually filmed there. Fun fact, it was like a set that they recreated, but it is set at the plaza and there's like famous scenes on those front steps. So we were excited to take pictures, but inside... They asked, there's an Eloise portrait, and uh, Ashley and Devin had gone to the bathroom, and they asked where the Eloise portrait was. And the bellman, in his, like, tuxedo and his white gloves, says to her, oh, well, I'll take you, miss. Hop on. And he invites Devin to hop on the baggage care, like, the baggage trolley or whatever. Pushes her through the whole hotel over to the photo. And she has this amazing photo where she's standing on the baggage carousel and you can just see the white gloved hand of a man in a tuxedo pushing her and she's in front of the portrait. Oh my gosh, it was darling. Devin was in a whole dress and a hat, like, you know, we all dressed up. And she just loved it. She could not wait to tell Uncle Jeremy and her dad and her brother that like she got a sucker and she got this and like she got to take her picture and she got to write a letter to Eloise and they put her on the baggage carousel. Like it just was such a memorable experience for her. And I feel like a lot of things with kids I find can fall flat. You know, like you think they're going to be excited about it. And like we took them to the Central Park Zoo, for example, like That was fine. I don't think she's telling anyone when she gets back to school that she went to the Central Park Zoo, but I do think she's telling them that she went to the Eloise Tea at the Plaza. Second recommendation is Ellen's Stardust Diner. Ellen's Stardust Diner. It's like a 1950s vintage diner in Times Square where all of the waiters and waitresses are legit Broadway hopefuls, incredibly talented. They mentioned that there's not a single show on Broadway right now, I think was the quote, that doesn't have an alum of Ellen's. Now, I don't know if they mean musical because I don't know that every play would, you know, a lot of plays are like four actors and they're all celebrities. So I think they probably mean every musical has an alum. Um, but my, here's my advice. So basically you your waiter then hops up at different points throughout the night and is like standing on the tables and singing Broadway show tunes. And it's just a very New Yorky experience. So here's the thing though, you cannot go if you have more than a party of four. <laughs> we tried two different days to stand in line for a party of six. Getting there at 4:30 was not enough time to get in by 6:15, almost two hours of waiting in line to get to a seven o'clock show. So, long story short, third time we went back, they even they like basically we got to the front of the line, they took our name. We were like the next ones, but we had a show at seven o'clock. They're like, you know what? I just, you're going to be rushed. Let me ask my manager, see if I can put your name in, come back after the show. So we go back after the show. We wait for like another half hour. And finally, Jeremy and I are like, let's duck out and just let them go as a party of four. So we did not actually get to go, but my sister said that it was delightful. And I actually am going to now make a point. I've been there a million years ago with friends like so many years ago. Um, so I was like, okay, I will take Jeremy. Much easier to get a table for two or four. But do know you can't make reservations. You got to wait in line. You just have to have somebody get there and go. Again, for a party of six, you needed two hours wait in line before the time. Like maybe if we'd gotten there at 3.30. But I think it's just like not a place for more than four people. And um. Next recommendation. I need to do like a reels on this because I've got to spread the word. If you are coming to New York City this summer, if you live in New York City, if you like musical theater and you have no plans to come to New York City, you need to come to New York City and you need to see the musical some like it hot. I don't even want to say any more than that. I don't look up anything about it. Don't read anything about it. Just trust me. I was on a Broadway tour. I've, I've, That was my last career. I've lived in New York for 20 years. Just take my advice, just take my recommendation. Go see Some Like It Hot and DM me afterwards, and we can talk about why it's so great. Maybe I will do a reels where I'll be like, go see it. And if you want the spoilers, or like, please stop listening here. And only if you've seen it, come back and watch the end where I can explain to you why this show was so good. But I feel like part of the reason why it was so magical for me is I just, I had zero expectations going in. That is how I recommend seeing it. And if you do go see it, my friends Amber and Richard are in it. Two of my friends that I performed with are in the cast, um, which made it extra special, but is not even why I'm recommending it. And then my final tip is just Central Park is magical. Central Park has got to be the most wonderful park in the whole entire world as far as I'm concerned. Have I been to all the parks? No, but I kind of feel like it sort of has to be. For as many years as I've lived in New York, every time I go to Central Park, it feels magical to me. It is just like there's so many different layers to it. There's like brambly, like rambling parts where you can get lost. There's lakes, there's boating, there's playgrounds, there's uh, people playing sports. There's people playing music. There's people dancing. Like the paths just wander and meander. It's not all laid out like a grid. And yes, I am feeling a little punch punch drunk, in love. Now that it is getting to be spring, because it is always a long, long, hard, hard winter here. And as soon as it is spring, you just want to like spin around like you're, you know, a Disney princess. And there's, um, little birds flitting around your shoulder. So we are going to Central Park more and more with each passing year in New York City. And when you come, just give yourself a a half a day, multiple times to just wander around the park and people watch if it is nice weather um, and just enjoy being outside. As always, you are welcome in advance for those recommendations. And if today's episode in general and this concept of waiting well spoke to you and you think it would help someone in your life because again, all of us are in a season of waiting according to my brief poll. Please share this episode, tag me, share what helped or resonated the most so that I can see it so I can better understand what's resonating. It helps me so much when I am thinking about us and what teaching and content I can create for us. So I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and see you share what stood out to you, what spoke to you, whether you wanna share what you're waiting in or what your um, favorite insight or quote was. And if you are brand new to the You're Welcome podcast, hit the subscribe button. That way you will see the new episodes as they come up. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review. It would mean so much to me. It takes just a minute to tap those stars. It takes seconds to tap those stars and just a minute to leave something thoughtful about the show. I read every single one and I am so grateful. So thank you in advance and I will see you back here next Wednesday. With grace and option, till next Wednesday.